You're listening to Irish Radio Canada, and today we are going to feature a variety of organizations, both in Canada and in Ireland, who are specifically endeavoring and working to help people during these times. And we have John Boylan from the Embassy of Ireland here in Ottawa. We have Sabina Noke, who is at the Canadian Chartered Affairs in the Embassy in Dublin. Cara McHugh, Safe Home Ireland, Lachlan Scott from Helplink Migrant Project and Daniel McLaughlin from Cost Career Migrant Project. And then Cathy Murphy with us also. Cathy is the Executive Director of the Irish Canadian Immigration Centre in Toronto as well as a few other organisations having an involvement with them. Cathy, thanks for taking the time to come and have a chat. Thank you, it's a pleasure. The last number of weeks have been a challenge on a number of levels and they're not just um, people finding employment, people coping, but coping on a whole load of different levels, which must have put a series of demands on you that you never anticipated would be part of your role. How uh, well said that is. We, um, I mean, I think the issues that people are coping with fall very much under the three pillars of our mandate, which is immigration, employment, and social services. So it's not so much that the issues in the cases presenting are new, but in fact the number of cases. And in the very in the very early weeks of this crisis, we were certainly at capacity. Um, but the crisis has provided the Immigration Centre an opportunity to grow. We had some plans to upscale services in Vancouver, for example, and that was going to happen in the autumn. And because of the crisis, we had to bring all of that forward and were able to do so with the help of the consulate in Vancouver and some emergency funding from Ireland. And would it be fair to say then that while there have been more cases, would the complexity of those cases also have been an issue? Absolutely. That's absolutely true. The, the seriousness of the immigration issues, the seriousness around some of the mental health issues, and of course the loss of employment, yes, these were... Um, these took us in a far more extreme direction than we'd ever have to, had to go before. Now, I know on the show today we're going to be hearing from a number of organizations who are out there supporting these people on this side and on that side. So, to summarize what services you're providing and how you're handling those and when people reach out to you, uh, how, how they reach out to you and where they can find you. So our offices have always been based in Toronto, and but we have we have had critical mass across the country. Uh, we used to have a big, big population um, of clients in Edmonton and Fort McMurray, and even in Saskatchewan. And then over the recent years, that, that mass moved to Vancouver. So we've had to provide services in the last 24 months, primarily to Toronto and Vancouver through digital outreach, whether it's email, whether it's Skype whether it's now Zoom or our toll-free number, uh, and also by going to Vancouver several times a year to provide in-person services and consultations and, and permanent residency seminars. But we, as I said, we knew that we wanted to be able to have on-the-ground services in Vancouver every week, not just every quarter. And so those plans were in place, and now um, we do have a social care advisor in Vancouver as well as a social care advisor in Toronto, um, who also has a national role. And we have just hired a Vancouver client liaison who 
Vancouver's opening up faster than Toronto, so hopefully soon she'll be able to meet with people in small groups or one-on-one with appropriate social distancing so that they can have that soft touch that we're able to provide in Toronto, not today because of COVID, um, but under normal circumstances. What would you say has been the number one issue? The immigration piece. I mean, we, we are certainly dealing with people who have lost their jobs, but thanks to the CERB, many of our clients are on benefits. And there have been some, yeah, definitely an increase in mental health cases. Um, but uh, I would say the immigration issues have been front and present. People who, primarily people whose work permits are about to expire and want to apply for permanent residency, but don't have all the documents in place and couldn't get the documents in place in the last eight weeks, for example, because many offices were closed. So those people have now found themselves in and they're not able to extend their work permits unless they have sponsorships through an employer. Um, of course, they're allowed to stay as tourists, but that presents another challenge of not being able to work. And they would have been excellent candidates for permanent residency for Canada. So that that is by far the most serious thing that we're doing right now. And um, I know that there would have been at this time of the year, as it comes into the summer, the IEC program, we would have seen arrivals from Ireland and I guess that effectively is put on hold for a year. In most cases it is, and we would have, I mean the IEC students, sorry, the IEC participants can come throughout the year, but you're absolutely right. There was always a, a, a mass landing in the late spring, particularly in Vancouver and Toronto, um, of summer students who were using this two-year working holiday visa more as the, the old USJ-1 to come just for a few months. So we're obviously not anticipating that influx this summer, although that said, I have had some people reach out to say, I have an IEC um, approval letter and I have a job offer. Can I come? And they can come mm-hmm. if, they, if they can prove that their job is still there and that um, that the that operations are a go and that these places that were mandated to close during the emergency have now opened. So. We'll see a few trickle in, but nothing at all like we're used to in terms of the summer students. You mentioned earlier, and it's so important, the soft touch. And the Irish very much work on the basis of the soft touch, which must make things extremely difficult uh, from a networking perspective and a social connection, and even just getting help on where should I stay uh, what areas is relevant to where and then the old Irish way of I won't say tend to a bedroom but uh, <laughs> multiple people occupying small spaces those type <laughs> of scenarios are no longer practical no not at all and it is yes it's very strange when you're trying to coach someone through a difficult scenario not to be able to work with them face-to-face. I mean, we, we, we adapt, we flex like every other business and go to Zoom and Skype. I mean, in some ways, the Immigration Center, our operations have not been deeply impacted by COVID because we were already positioned to operate nationally from one office with a small team in Toronto. So we were used to the digital outreach piece. Um, so I think our, our team uh, was ready to adapt. Uh, but I think for the clients, uh, particularly in Toronto, who are used to being able to drop in, I imagine it's very challenging, as you say, not to have that cup of tea and that face-to-face chat. Right. Kathy, where will people find you? So the easiest way to find us is to go directly to our website, which is irishc 
irishdn.org. So Irish, short form for Canadian.org. There you will find email addresses for contacting all of our team, including our social care advisors, if you're having a mental health crisis or just need a little bit of support. You can talk to me about your immigration, and you can talk to many of our advisors and volunteers. And it is fair to say that yours is probably the best first port of call if someone is looking for something, some help. Yes, start with us, and our job is to signpost out to other people who can help, but we're a good place to start. Indeed. Cathy, I want to thank you for taking the time, and it's fantastic that you were able to find the time, and you've been a great resource, and uh, certainly very accessible. And I would urge anybody who is looking to get some help to go to the website and track down, get the FAQs, and reach out to Cathy and her team. Thanks, So uh, we are covering today and we're talking about how the Irish in Canada are being impacted and the support that is there for them in a variety of levels, be it in uh, just human support and in the case we're going to hear from the other side from helping support services, mental support uh, services. But the Irish are scattered from coast to coast and Ireland is now represented in Vancouver with a consulate and uh, Frank Flood is out there and Jennifer Burke and Jennifer is here and she's going to tell us a little about what you're seeing out there. Jennifer, thanks million first of all for taking the time and uh, the, the pulse, how would you put your finger on the pulse in Vancouver? What are you telling us? Thanks Austin, it's lovely to be on the show and um, thanks for inviting us to say a few words. So as you know there's a large um, young active Irish community out here in BC, particularly concentrated around Vancouver. Um, we have been in very close contact with the Irish community here and we've been working with them on several initiatives on a variety of different uh, topics including mental health and we've been working with the Irish Canadian Immigration Centre in Toronto on that and I'm sure they'll, they'll tell you a little bit more about their initiatives here in Vancouver but also we've been working with the Irish Benevolent Society with the Irish Women's Network, with the Irish Vancouver Running Crew and as soon as the pandemic restrictions came into place the Irish community here organised very quickly and started um, a daily Zoom call which was fantastic to support each other so there's almost 50 Irish community groups active in BC at the moment and a large number of those have been involved in um, information sharing, supporting each other, reaching out to the community on a wider level. So there's great support here in BC. And one of, I think, the most valuable things that we've been working with the community on um, is that there's recently been a part-time temporary communications officer uh, put in place in Vancouver, funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs, to spread the news about um, the Irish community in BC, to spread word about events and supports that are available. And if anybody wants to look up online, they can go to irishinbc.ca. There's also um, a Facebook page, which is Irish in Vancouver and BC. So there's a wide variety of support available to the Irish community here. It's an active and large community and anybody can reach out and get in touch. Um, in terms of the uh, issues that the community has been facing, we, a lot of young people and people whose situations were unsure economically left at the beginning of the pandemic here, from what we know. Not a massive amount, we don't, it's hard to estimate percentages, but, it, but, but a significant proportion of people who had recently arrived, maybe weren't eligible for SERB or EI, 
um, maybe hadn't secured jobs or were laid off, they, they've gone. So we're at a situation now where the people who are here in DC in Vancouver are those who are reasonably confident that they can weather the storm and are kind of, uh, I suppose, hunkering down and just adapting to the new, new normal. Um, we are here to support those people because as the economic, economic ramifications continue to be felt, and as there is the potential for that to worsen as the um, as the pandemic continues, even though lockdowns are easing or the restrictions restrictions are easing, and um, we are aware that there are still challenges and difficulties being faced by the Irish in Vancouver and BC. So that's employment, mental health, things like that, and that's where the Irish community comes in and where the consulate comes in. People can contact us and contact the Irish community for support and for guidance and signposting. We might not be able to help people directly with all their issues, but we can certainly help to find a service or a resource that might be able to assist them. And normally I would imagine when Irish guys particularly arrive over into a city, they tend to bunk in with each other, which isn't always the best for social distancing. Has, have there been any issues around those kind of things in accommodation? Not particularly. There has been a little bit of movement that, like, kind of we've heard and seen online anecdotally, I guess. A little bit of movement, obviously, with people leaving, and people have had to kind of rejig their accommodation issues. But to be honest, there's there's been a minimal amount considering the time of year, and obviously that's to do with the travel restrictions that are in place. So, as everybody or most people will know, Canada has um, essentially um, closed its borders to anybody who's not here for essential reasons. So we know that there are lots of people, young people in Ireland, who have maybe been planning to come to Vancouver specifically for the summer of 2020, who have either had to now change their plans or cancel their plans. And we're very supportive of that. Both the Canadian and the Irish government have made it very clear that um, they advise against all non-essential travel by anyone anywhere in the world. And that very particularly and specifically um, applies to Vancouver as well as a hub for kind of Irish summer students and young Irish people who want to travel. Um, so we support that stance. We know that um, this is not the right time for Irish people to be starting a new life or a new adventure in Canada. The economic situation, as everywhere, is very uncertain. Businesses have closed. People have been laid off, either temporarily or permanently. And the uh, economic disruption is uncertain. We don't know when it's going to improve. We don't know how it's going to um, end up or how it's even going to proceed as the restrictions ease. And another aspect is that if anybody is still considering of coming to Vancouver, because there are certain people who are still trying to think about how they can get over here. If, even before the pandemic, it's something that um, a lot of young Irish people would say to us at the consulate and discuss between themselves is that it's actually quite difficult to get a job in Canada if you don't have Canadian experience. And I think that goes across the board, certainly in BC and I would imagine elsewhere in the country mm-hmm. too, um, unless you want to work somewhere like... Um, a, a hotel or a cafe or a restaurant, but obviously they're the businesses that are struggling most and mm-hmm. are opening up most slowly. So there are certainly very limited opportunities, and for anything more skilled, um, it's going to be particularly difficult now, if not near impossible. 
So we would strongly advise people to think very, very carefully about um, if they are still considering on trying to come to Canada. This really is not the right time. And as I mentioned, both governments are still advising against non-essential travel, and that's really what it comes down to. So, and Jennifer, we will be chatting with the Canadian Embassy in uh, Dublin and putting that to them also about uh, travel and visas. But uh, if somebody is in Vancouver or out west and needs to get back to Ireland, at the moment, given the way travel is, what kind of routings are available? Because I think all the direct flights between Toronto, certainly, and Dublin are gone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Our, our advice on that would be very much that people should contact airlines directly. So my understanding is that Air Canada currently are flying still from Vancouver to London Heathrow and that Air Lingus then have a connector to Dublin. Okay. So that is still a route that is available. Um, I think, now I could be wrong, and obviously airlines change their mm-hmm. routes on short notice these days, but my understanding from a couple of days ago was that in June they were planning on having four flights, direct flights per week with Air Canada from Vancouver to London Heathrow. So that's the one that we kind of know most about and that we've heard people taking advantage of. It seems to be the most direct route okay. from Vancouver to Dublin at the moment. But obviously, as I say, there may be other options available and there probably are other options mm-hmm. available mm-hmm. Maybe that are less direct. Uh, but people need to really liaise um, with the airline. My advice would be book directly with the airline and also book and go quickly. Don't book for six weeks or eight weeks out if you don't know if something's going to be cancelled. Right. If you want to go home and you want to go home soon, book and travel within the same few days if you can, if not a couple of weeks for sure, and no longer than that is our advice. Jennifer, thanks a million. It's been great catching up and, and uh, getting finger on the pulse out there. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a million for having me on. I really appreciate it. And take care right there. And I'm going to ask uh, John from Ottawa to come in and give us an overview of, John, what you are come across, what you are seeing within the community here in Canada and what, you're, what kind of stuff is coming into the embassy. Thanks, Austin. Right, well, I, I mean, it's, it's been kind of happening in stages, I guess. So at the beginning of the pandemic, of the crisis, if you want to call it that, the focus was on very much for us on getting people home, so getting Irish people in Canada home to Ireland, those who wanted to go home. So rather than, than telling people to leave, you know, we encourage people to assess their own situation, their job security, financial security, housing security, all those things, uh, and make their own decision to stay or go based off that. So flight options were narrowing on a weekly basis, especially at the start. It was really a movable uh, feast there, and things were happening quickly, so we were encouraging people to leave sooner rather than later. Now, as it transpired, commercial options have a bit remained available to travel from Canada to Ireland throughout up until the present day, which is great. Direct flights stopped from Ireland to Canada, but there were indirect routes available and still are. So we were really focused on getting the message out anyway to get people home who, who wanted to go home and to make that decision themselves. So we're very active on social media, uh, getting those message out, messages out. We had great assistance, obviously, from our consulate in Vancouver, the Irish Immigration Centre in Toronto. And then once people who wanted to leave had left Canada, we then shifted our focus onto how best to support people who chose to remain. So again, there are a number of categories there. So 
you know, we were initially receiving a lot of queries from people about repatriation flights from Canada. However, as I mentioned, you know, there were still commercial flights available to Toronto, to London, to Dublin. And so citizens were encouraged to, to just book one of those flights if they wanted to return home. The, the thing about repatriation flights is very briefly because there's a lot of, uh, they're publicised very well, they get a lot of media attention, as they should do, but they're primarily for citizens stranded in countries where there are no flight options, rather than for, you know, individual cases or for, indeed, for countries that there are commercial options available. The passport office being closed in Dublin, that led to delays in passport processing, but certain citizens that needed to travel urgently back to Ireland in the case of, say, death or serious illness of a family member or to move back to Ireland in the pandemic, you know, we encouraged them to contact us and we were able to sort them out. There are ways and means of getting people emergency passports and things like that, but there are a number of checks and balances just, just to make that point that, you know, it has to be emergency travel and travel has to be booked and that kind of thing. But we were able to help people in, in that regard too. Thereafter, then, we were looking at the, the welfare of Irish citizens and I know other people will talk about this probably or touch on it, and I'm sure Jenny in Vancouver has touched on it in her piece. The, the community groups in Canada... I was very impressed with how, how quickly they banded together. We had a kind of a coordinating role as best we could to bring them together, but they had already done it, to be quite honest. Uh, they'd come together as the GEA clubs, the various social clubs, community groups, to kind of find out or ascertain or locate the people that needed the help most, whether it be financial, whether they just needed food or shelter or whatever, to find them and, and to reach them. And then from our perspective, it was about very quickly, I happened in HQ, very quickly, uh, putting systems together for getting financial assistance out to those groups. So that's what we're looking at there uh, in terms of, you know, the welfare of, of people who decided to stay. And that's kind of what we're focusing on at the moment. And things are evolving. But fortunately, we're, we're, we haven't had that many people. Of course, it's all relative, but we haven't had that many people in dire straits. People have lost their jobs, but some are already coming back on stream. Some have been able to change from, you know, if they got laid off in one, one area, they were able to pick up work in, in other areas from temporary work ecosystem. So it was, it was kind of an evolving situation. Uh, but that's what we've seen so far. Okay, thanks, John. And uh, sorry, thanks, John. And Lachlan, I'm going to go over to you first on the Irish side because, in a way, what you're doing is you're provi- providing service to people who not only may be considering going back, but who are here and who are struggling through what are very trying times on every level. And given that Helplink Mental Health Support is there dealing with mental health, do you want to give us an idea of what you've been hearing, seeing from this side and even from around the world and where you see things being at the moment? Thanks very much, Austin. Yeah, since uh, 2016, we have been providing uh, free culturally sensitive counselling seven days a week to Irish people from around the globe that are living abroad, Irish citizens. Since that time, we've helped Irish citizens in 25 countries and last year we provided it to 20 different countries from around the world and 17% of the the clients that got the support were actually from Canada. So quite a large percentage, the largest after Australia actually. Some of the main reasons for people to access the support, well one of the big ones was they didn't want to return home and then uh, on the other side of that there was homesickness and loneliness. There was also relationship problems and depression and anxiety were the two biggest parts there. There were some, there were some small pieces there around guilt about be, being away, and we've seen that more and more during this time over the COVID-19 crisis. There, that, that has actually risen, that reason. And also the, there's always been a, a pressure to return home, 
well, that has become even more so during this time as well. Some of the small things were around confidence, trouble sleeping, struggling to cope with, with a work-life balance. Furthermore, then, we have seen in the same period compared to last year, a 37% increase overall with the amount of clients that are contacting us from all over the world. Yeah, so the idea behind it basically is that if you're an Irish citizen with, an, with a passport, current passport, you can avail of a minimum of six free counselling sessions from an Irish-based counsellor online seven days a week. We're also, in 2019, we started providing counselling for the Irish citizens that were returning home as well. And we were doing that in partnership or referrals with Crosscare Migrant Project, with Safe Home Ireland and with the Irish Council for Prisoners Overseas. And people can self-refer as well, of course, through that. Uh, now, that was one of the biggest increases of that 37% that I mentioned earlier on was coming from people that were returning home during this time. And we all then we increased it even more, the service even more, during the, the COVID-19 crisis to support people, Irish people that had been abroad, whether it was on holidays or not, and they were actually stuck abroad then and they couldn't come home. And we targeted then also healthcare workers that were coming home to fight again in, in the fight against the COVID-19 virus. So we were specifically helping them as well within that. So uh, quite a large breadth of support globally for the Irish and also for when they're returning home. Okay, so Lachlan, then, the level of service, as you say, you're now providing counselling for those coming home as well and working with Danielle. Danielle, I'll move over to you, and do you want to fill us in a little on some of the support that you're seeing and, and the numbers that are coming and how you're helping them? Yes, thank you, Austin. Our service has definitely seen an increase in queries from people who are concerned about the situation abroad, and obviously the pandemic has created a lot of issues for Irish immigrants regionally. They can vary a lot between different countries, so a lot of our initial reaction was just to keep up to date with the ever-changing updates that were changing throughout our our provisions in, in Ireland around services and travel advisories from different countries. So a lot of our time went into advising people through social media platforms and Twitter and Facebook and then putting in notices on our website and directing people to those which we were updating on a daily basis and this was absolutely necessary as things were changing so quickly across countries as flights were being grounded. New kind of restrictions were slowly coming in and being introduced across the, the globe. The Department of Foreign Affairs had many, many um, in, you know, advisories and there were updates, a lot of queries around flights, but in particular to our service, which would uh, specialise in advice, information, advocacy for emigrants returning to Ireland, particularly at this time. It was a lot of people who were concerned, particularly about the self-isolation piece, so people who were particularly affected probably more so in countries where their temporary worker status might have been affected. They've lost their work, which put their immigration permission and their permits uh, in jeopardy. Um, this mainly coming from Australia and America initially and, and a lot of people have been advised by those countries to return home if they felt that they couldn't sustain a living there without, without work um, and weren't able to access supports, benefits and uh, healthcare and things like that, statutory services that would become necessary for them. Um, so questions 
were coming in to us slowly and eventually quite urgently from, from different countries as to how people should manage that and what is the situation back home in Ireland. So whilst we didn't see a huge number of people instantly returning, we saw a trickle. And our service particularly deals with supporting more directly individuals or families who are adversely impacted and who may have difficulty accessing supports when they come back to Ireland, particularly people who maybe have no income and maybe less access to support networks and family. So in this situation, we have had a lot of challenges in supporting individuals in an immediate crisis situation and referring them on to emergency accommodation and access to immediate income support through social welfare system. And we have eventually overcome these but they have been compounded by the pressure on all of these services. Uh, the homeless services are under a lot of pressure to provide isolate, isolated rooms for individuals already in the services. So we find that individuals who were in particularly difficult situations and needed emergency accommodation were struggling to get any kind of definitive uh, response from the services until they were actually landed in Ireland. Um, which is often quite too late. So we have raised these matters quite a bit with the relevant uh, statutory agencies. and We're still working on trying to develop, in collaboration with them, the government, uh, a more uh, robust, standardised approach across across departments to, to support people in particularly vulnerable circumstances. More general queries, people are coming in to us by email, by Facebook Messenger, through all, all our platforms, about just the 14-day self-isolation requirement. Now, there's an understanding among some people that this is mandatory and people must isolate in very separate accommodation to any family members or anyone they might stay with long-term, not in the short to medium term, but this, this is a misunderstanding and we've done a lot to try and promote that message that there are HS, HSE guidelines from the health services that will indicate how an individual or family can return and stay with other people without putting them at risk, you know, for example, staying in a separate room and not sharing the same items in the household, general standard cleaning um, hygiene practices. So there's, a, there's been a lot of communication around, around that and then again, individual queries where people are in unique circumstances who may have a family member who is unwell or may there may be immigration issues where people have been affected who may have a non-EU partner um, or a de facto partner and if that person is reliant on the Irish citizen their income is combined then coming back to Ireland is quite a challenge where they will need to apply for pre-clearance so there's, there's a lot of things that have been raised and they've come up very quickly and there's still matters to be ironed out. So we're, we're, we're watching everything very closely. We're keeping in touch with statutory services. We're keeping in touch with the government and the minister, Kieran Cannon, around helping wherever we can and uh, make, raising awareness where issues, issues are affecting people returning to Ireland. Danielle and I'll put the same question then when we come to talk to Karen as restrictions ease is it anticipated that there will be much greater demand on your services particularly and also 
on uh, Karens. Is it expected that you're going to see more people wanting to return as soon as travel restrictions are lifted to some degree? Yeah, a lot of my job at the moment is trying to ascertain this. I've stepped into this role in February, but um, just you know, just as the pandemic was coming, hitting us, and my role as networking Irish Abroad Networking Officer, it's my role to engage with organisations across the world who are supporting Irish immigrants and establishing issues that are coming up regionally for people. And I have been talking to a lot of organisations, and it, it can vary. It will depend on the economy. It will depend on whether people pick up work again if they have been temporary they had temporarily laid off. I've been speaking to people in the UAE. There's uh, people talking about coming home from there. If teachers, um, industries like construction, people are being temporarily laid off and they're considering whether or not to come back to Ireland, but they may not have a choice if their visa expires. Um, they have 30 days, for example, in Abu Dhabi to re-establish employment. In Australia, there's temporary skilled workers. There's skilled workers also in the Ireland-Canadian Experience Programme. So there's a lot of people talking about what are their options in a few months' time. And we do anticipate there will still be people affected because we know there's a recession coming and we do know that there will be people who will have very limited choice but to come back and restart their lives and their livelihoods and businesses all over again in Ireland. There's a worry and a concern about people who've maybe overstayed visas or who've become undocumented and the, the real threat to their, to their livelihoods, particularly where they have families abroad. So it, it is a matter of keeping in contact with all of these groups, um, seeing how it pans out, how individual countries deal with the pandemic, how quickly they move out of it. But it is certainly an area that we are really keeping close a close eye on and keeping in contact with our government and our authorities and embassies and consular services who, who do refer people to us quite regularly and have been throughout this pandemic and are working very hard to assist our Irish immigrants. But we, we do anticipate that, that you know there may be a secondary kind of wave once the travel comes back in and, and ports are opened again and airports and flights and travel starts again, that this this may be what people are starting to contemplate and I know anecdotally there's there's discussions among private groups, you know, online that will will be thinking about that and seeking seeking some kind of information and, and uh, advice on people's personal experiences on coming back. So all of that communication is happening at the moment um, and we we do expect to see, you know, some kind of repercussions happening over the next few months and we're starting to prepare for that. Thanks a million, Danielle. I'm going to move on to, to Karen. And Karen, you heard there from what Danielle was saying and some of the others and the pressures that are mounting and that are existing. What have you seen so far and how do you anticipate based on what we were just sharing there that when travel eases, do you anticipate that's going to put great pressure on your organisation also? Yeah, I suppose I'll just start with, uh, not sure if all of you are aware of the services of Safe Home Ireland, particularly John and Sabine. Uh, Safe Home was set up in 2000 initially to support returning older Irish immigrants uh, who were born in Ireland, living abroad, and our service, I suppose, evolved and developed from a Mayo-based service to a national service in 2002. So our work was initially specifically supporting returning older Irish to social housing in their native areas. Now, over the years, our work expanded to include 
broader information to any age, any circumstance, any inquiry, any issues to outreach to the 26 counties. So uh, there are four areas to our work and the other area is just what we call connect and that's linking in with, with those abroad with home. So since I suppose, the pandemic, since lockdown began here, and I suppose I would also have to add that our contacts from Canada are limited. So I'm not sure whether we're not known in terms of with services in Canada or whether the demand for our particular service is not as great and whether people are aware of our broader reach in terms of both outreach to people when they return home, we will visit the, in their own homes. Obviously, in current times, we're not able to do uh, outreach and home visits just yet, but we are looking at re- revising that in the next few weeks. So I suppose that is a service that might be of interest to to any of you in Canada, if there are any particular individuals or families returning who need that little bit of extra support in terms of resettling and reintegrating, uh, we can go and visit them in their own homes or meet in a, in a hotel or somewhere independent. We've had, um, I just kind of checked earlier in terms of context, we've had limited I suppose, inquiries from Canada, however we have had in recent times, a number of professionals making contact uh, either lost their jobs, wanting to inquire if they would be entitled to social welfare on return, not able to come home and stay with family because perhaps family members were either older or they didn't have I suppose, as good a relationship as possibly they would like to have, so unable to return to family. So the self-isolation uh, initially and the long-term accommodation would be an issue. Uh, we've had a couple of recent inquiries from older people who are looking at returning. I've made inquiries to Mayo in Dublin via Safe Home for Social Housing because they fit our criteria, I guess. And a couple of others around taxation and families returning as well for, uh, in terms of seeking work. So they've been quite broad from families and social welfare, taxation, planned returns. And I suppose what we see is from Canada... I'm not sure we're going to see any increase in the work, our area, our organisation. However, in other countries, we certainly see that there is uh, certainly an increase in inquiries from the USA. Um, I'm sure there are some recent reasons for that, as well as COVID as well. And we also would have had quite an increase from the UK and from other countries around the world. Uh, So... um, we, we definitely say there will be an increase and I suppose we, we've held a number of kind of Facebook live concerts and that's brought, opened up a whole other avenue for us in terms of people missing home and the number of emails we've got, the number of messages we've got in terms of being away at this particular time, how the pandemic is affecting people emotionally and mentally and I'm sure Lachlan that may um, resonate with you where when you're not able to come home, it's more difficult, even though people may not have been coming this year. However, if they're not being able to come home to family or if they're a family member has died or if there has been any funerals or weddings or any celebrations, that restrictions on travel is creating issues. We've had a number of people contact us about their ancestors were either born, they're either second generation. I think we've had a couple in Canada. We've had quite a few from USA, even our last concert last weekend, where they have identified their ancestors in certain parts of Ireland and want to come back to Ireland. That is because of perhaps what's going on in the different countries as well. I suppose Canada appears to be, from 
living over here in Ireland, a little bit more open and welcoming and, and warmer towards Irish in particular, but broader immigration. And uh, that's my view and my professional opinion. I can't, I'm not sure if that's correct, but um, that's certainly how it comes across to us. So our work is continuing. We would have a lot of contact from families here as well who have relatives abroad and are worried about their relatives abroad. We have over 300 people on our housing list um, and it's not necessarily a waiting list or anything, it's, it's throughout the 26 counties so it would include people who are, who are ready to return should housing become available and should they be available because not always somebody on our housing list will ever return. The actual dream of returning or the dream sometimes is just that the option is there that someday they may return. So being, it's quite hard to, to put it into words. Many abroad would like to return to Ireland and if an offer was made immediately, they may not return for various different reasons. So we're well aware of that. But we have a few people from Canada on our list and at the moment we're contacting everybody who is on our housing list, connecting with them, linking in, just to check how they are, uh, how are they coping in the current situation? Do they have the supports, the resources? And can we link them into other services? And we've certainly found that we've been able to connect people with services where they can get that extra support, either that emotional support or even the help with shopping or having somebody ring them. Um, and sometimes it's that aloneness and the isolation, especially those that were cocooned who could not get out. We found that our phone calls perhaps were you know, the only one call that they may have had that day or even that week. So that is continuing. We're going to keep doing that until things return to some sort of normality. And anyone we do have concerns with, we will obviously try and connect them. And I suppose we, just from in Ireland here, we work very closely as organisations together. So we will cross-refer all the time. Ourselves, if somebody is coming back and they're not necessarily within our remit or our reach, we will refer to Crossgear or to the Citizens Information if it's around mental health or emotional support to Lachlan and equally vice versa both will hurt safe home and also another organisation which is the Irish Council for Prisons Overseas. We would work quite closely with them as well for people who may be returning if they have either done their sentence or they are returning because of whatever records we will support them and, and do whatever outreach. So I suppose that's something for you to bear in mind, you know, if, if that particular service as well is obviously working I suppose globally. What we find is we get a lot of posts, we get a lot of letters. Other organisations I know get a lot of emails and maybe uh, phone calls, but people handwrite letters to us still. And we have so many handwritten letters and handwritten cards. And that's some to do with the older generation. And I suppose we're very, very keen that the work that we do, it's not just all online, um, because online doesn't work for everyone. And uh, we, we post out, I think, over maybe 800 newsletters. Yeah, roughly that, and that's globally, uh, because a lot of people don't do the internet. Not just of a certain age, young people don't either, and others, especially if you're in prison, won't necessarily have access to that. So I suppose we find posts incredibly important still. So our work is continuing, the information, the outreach on hold, but we're able to work around that for now. And uh, we are receiving, and we have recently only received a new application for somebody on our housing list from Canada. So we're waiting for an increase when things return to some sort of normality, what that ever is going to look like, because it's not going to be what it was. And for yourselves, we're here 
if there's any, if you want more information, you can connect with us or vice versa. Our doors are open. Thanks a million, uh, Karen, and uh, a tremendous kind of coverage of, of what you're doing there. I'm going to move over to hear from the other side of the, the coin in one way. Sabina Nolke is the Canadian Charge of Affairs in Dublin. And Sabina, thanks a million for coming along. And a great opportunity for you to hear, I suppose, the Irish, how we're, we're dealing with some of this and meet some people here also. But the question I want to, to put to you based on what we've been hearing is two directions. One is that there are Irish in Canada who may have been coming towards the end of their legal status in Canada, their visas, etc. And you may have people in Ireland who have been granted visas who are looking to see that the expiry date may be coming close, but there's no possibility of travel. So I'll put those on the table. But anything else then on the area that you would like to cover? All right. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, I have to do a bit of a bureaucratic disclaimer before I speak, and uh, that is um, the International Experience Canada, the IEC program, which I think is what you are referring to, is administered by Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. We do not here at the Embassy in Dublin have an immigration and visa section. We refer all specific cases and inquiries to London, uh, which is our nearest immigration hub. So when when I'm speaking to these issues, I'm not speaking to them from um, the standpoint of somebody who knows all the ins and outs. I'm, I'm speaking as someone who has looked at the website because we get frequent inquiries, of course, and we are trying to deal with, you know, the immediate issues to the extent that we can to uh, reduce the burden on our colleagues in London. We have most of the frequently asked questions up on our embassy website. People can access them relatively easily, but I can't pretend that I have in-depth knowledge. The second issue, of course, is that with many of the measures that have currently been imposed in Canada, including travel restrictions on arrival or who can travel to Canada, um, those things change fairly regularly. And we are not necessarily the first ones to be advised. Sometimes we find out via the public announcements that come from IRCC. So we always refer people with specific questions or even general questions first and foremost to the IRCC website. So I've, I've covered my, um, my rear end, I hope, sufficiently. Uh, but uh, having done that, I can give you, I think, some information that we will happily uh, pass on to clients who ask. The first one is um, people who are already in Canada. Now, these are really not people that we at the embassy would deal with, period. These are people who should really deal with IRCC directly. But what we understand is that if you, your term comes to an end and you can't go back at this point due to travel restrictions or for whatever personal reason, you can apply for an extension of your stay but not of the work permit, because those are limited under the program. You can apply for an extension to stay as a visitor. And uh, once you do that, and you can do that electronically through the IRCC website, and uh, of course it takes a while for that to be processed, uh, that application, but from the moment that you have applied 
you have what uh, IRCC calls implied status. In other words, you have a record of your application. You can't be thrown out of the country as having overstayed because your application is in process. Uh, but you can't work. Your status is that of a visitor, and you, you're not eligible for employment in Canada. So that's the folks who are stuck there. Um, that said, I, I think it's important to note the air bridge to Ireland is open, and you can return to Ireland from Canada through commercial means. You do not require repatriation flights. Uh, we have daily flights uh, from Toronto to, uh, to London, we also have flights from Vancouver and from Montreal to London, and then you can pick up Aer Lingus and come to Dublin. We also have connections through Frankfurt, Paris, and Amsterdam. So it is very, very possible for people to come back to Canada if they want. I cannot find a flight. It's not really a valid excuse. So there are flights out there. I've also been informally told by Air Canada that they will resume four times a week flights from Toronto to Dublin uh, as of July the 2nd. So that uh, those flights are at this, at this point, of course, you know, with COVID, everything is always subject to change. That's what we've been told. Now, with regard to people who want to go to Canada, at this point, I think it's important to note, you are, if you have a valid IEC work permit and port of entry letter, and you have a confirmed offer of employment, you can go to Canada. You are counted under the temporary worker exemption, but you need to have all those papers in place. You need to have your confirmation of employment, you need to have your port of entry letter, you need to have proof of health insurance once you get to Canada, more important now than ever. And you also have to have a self-isolation plan because you're subject to the two-week quarantine rule. Uh, if you cannot tell the person at the wicket at the airport where you're going to go and self-isolate, you will not be allowed to board. But you can go if you have all of these things in place. Now, if you don't have a letter of employment, you cannot go. If your employer has um, withdrawn the offer of employment, for example, your best bet at this point is to simply cancel your IEC application, uh, cancel your participation, because you can only participate once. If you cancel the participation, then um, you can apply again once the program reopens. They're currently not, not taking new applications. If you wish to change employers, you can do that. Uh, you have to indicate why, but of course an employer, you know, um, closing down because of COVID or whatever is a valid reason for changing employers. But again, you need to have that, that valid letter. If you um, have all of these things in place and you can't travel, I understand that extensions can be applied for. You do that within 30 days prior to the expiry of your, of your visa, um, but the extension will only be valid for up to 90 days. And I have not heard any indication that uh, there's going to be an extension of that. That doesn't mean that those discussions aren't going on, but um, I have not heard this. And uh, so I think it's, uh, it's useful for... Um, 
for students who want to go over to check the website uh, regularly to see if there's any updates uh, on, on those issues. For folks who want to know more, we have, um, I have on my Twitter account, which is by, uh, goes under my name, Sabine Nölke, uh, and I think it's also pinned to our embassy Twitter account, we have a link to our frequently asked questions, and that provides all the necessary links for people to find the information that they may be looking for. Thanks, Sabina. I'd like to come in there yeah. about the same as Sabine there, that there's lots of information on our website, helplink.ie, and there's an Irish Abroad section there with <coughs> FAQs as well and lots of different information that can be quite helpful to people. There's also a list of different crisis support mental health services in the countries where people come from. We, we have mostly the, the bigger countries there where, where more, more uh, Irish people are, and there's a list there also of from that we refer to cross-care migrant project. They have a list of Irish support services in, in each place. Just to, to note that there, at the very bottom of the, of the main page of Irish Abroad, you'll see orange things that say click here. Helplines in Australia, in Canada, USA, and that kind of thing as well. These are all crisis hotlines. If anyone's interested in, uh, we have a, a frequently asked questions section um, under our news notice, so it's migrantproject.ie. These are being updated, so keep an eye on them. Even if you're not in need of partic any particular supports, there might be just pieces of information that you might find useful just on arrivals back in Ireland, getting a PPS number, child benefit, applying for the housing assistance payment, things like that. And we welcome any, any queries by email as well. So that's microproject.crosscare.e and we'll be on Twitter and Facebook. Fantastic. Can I just add the same off? So we get a safe home website and, and uh, we have a monthly newsletter that we uh, will, well, we've been doing it the last few months, but we've kind of varied it a little bit. But we, if you're not registered, you can register on our website as well. And we have Facebook and also frequently asked questions and links to services, Global Irish Network as well. So links to all the services from the Irish Broad Unit, uh, which is really important for individuals and organisations. Those that want support to organisations, that's on all our websites, I think, those services abroad. So, yeah, and if there are any people that you think might meet your housing criteria, that is 50, age 57 plus, Irish born, do not have the means to return in their own, uh, in terms of income, or to buy or to rent their own properties, and to be able to live independent. So if there's anybody that fits any of those criteria, you can contact us directly and we will work through the process. Uh, the other I've got to say is around nursing home care. We, we do get quite a number of inquiries. Again, not from Canada, uh, but we have quite a few, even this year, from the, both the States and the UK for people who are in nursing home care abroad would like to return to Ireland. So if, they're, if that's of any support as well, just it, it is possible. Not uh, everybody is aware it's possible, and we work um, to support in the process of returning as well, if that's something that people uh, so desire. We're uh, ready to wrap up, and I want to thank everyone uh, for taking the time. Savina, thank you very much indeed, and John in the Embassy in uh, Ottawa, Danielle, Crosscare, and Lockton at Helplink in Galway, and Karen. Austin, if I can just... Um say one more thing, and, and that is with the, the global repatriation effort. Uh, I think our foreign ministries, Canada and Ireland, have worked very well together in getting some of our citizens home from very far-flung areas of the world. 
we've dropped Irish nationals off on refueling flights between Africa and Canada. The Irish have dropped ours off in London, who've then gone on to uh, to uh, to Canada. So um, it's 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 worked really well, and I think it's been a fantastic example of uh, Canadian-Irish cooperation. So. A shout out to the embassy in Ottawa for that one as well. Cheers. I'll echo that on, on, on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, it's been fantastic, not only on the repatriation efforts, but also on the, there's been some very delicate consular cases, and the Canadian authorities here have been excellent in, in facilitating us um, whenever we needed help. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much, and it's, it's very encouraging from my perspective, having recently enough arrived in the country to see that kind of cooperation. It makes our job a lot easier. So as I say, I want to thank you all very much indeed. It's been very informative. Hopefully, quite soon, it will be a case of that having to pull people together like this to share information will be something that is part of history rather than part of everyday life.